0: Throughout the strange and often dark history of Russia, there are a few characters in particular that come to mind. Leaders of revolutions like Trotsky or Lenin, infamous czars, and so many more throughout history. However, none of them conjure up quite as much disgust, confusion, and darkness as the man called Rasputin. Known to most as the Mad Monk, he was also said to be a mind reader, with the ability to heal the sick and wounded, as well as predict the future. Although, ironically, he was never actually a monk of any kind at all. He was, for lack of a decisive term, a mystic, perhaps even clairvoyant. But most interestingly, he was known as a sex machine, and of course, the devil himself. The power he would wield over the royal family, and in particular the Tsarina, combined with his murky and largely unknown past, leaves us with a bizarre figure to unravel, like so many people throughout history. It has often been speculated that his powers were indeed very real. However, most historians will say that he was merely a manipulator of sorts, climbing his way all the way to the top, only to play an integral role in bringing it all down. So join us on Into the Portal as we examine the strange case of Grigory Rasputin's rise to power in the royal household, his hypnotic effects on people, bizarre sex cults, otherworldly forces, and of course his grisly final murder, which certainly did not go as planned.
1: Hello, I'm Amber Ray,
0: and I'm Andrew McKay.
1: And welcome back into the portal, your gateway to the bazaar. Today, we are talking about some things of high strangeness, or perhaps getting into a biographical portrait that is incredibly weird. Hey, Andrew, <laughs>
0: definitely weird. I think we're, we're we're digging in for the high strangeness because everyone wants there to be some mystical, yeah, some 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 definitely some like occult unknown things that have to do with this character that have. Built the legend that he sits upon today. Mm-hmm. The strangeness of none other than Rasputin. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, how how else do you say it? Really, right? <laughs> the infamous Gregory Rasputin. Gregory. Mm-hmm. And it's so funny because I started this off saying to Amber, uh, I wanted to mention the song right off the bat because I think you know most people, whether you're familiar with Rasputin the figure or not, you have heard the song "Ra Ra Rasputin," and. <laughs> 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 Let's just say Amber didn't necessarily know that this song was associated with uh, the character of Grigory <laughs> Rasputin, clomfed onto the czars. I
1: seriously thought they were talking about poutine. Like, <laughs> it's like they're really excited. They got the rah rah for the poutine, right? You know? Sure. I
0: don't know. I mean, who wouldn't be excited about poutine in 1978 Germany, right? <laughs> so that was a 1978 Euro disco hit. Uh, by the German-based pop Euro disco group. Man, what a, what a genre of music that isn't really around today anymore. They were called Boney M. I'm sure every, <laughs> people have heard about them out there, okay? I, their album was called Night Flight to Venus. Love that title. Cool. But uh, allegedly based on a Turkish folk song, but it was a, this semi-biographical song about the infamous Gregory Recipe, and that was sensationalizing him as a playboy, as this occult mystical healer, as a political manipulator. So the song in and of itself does a good job of kind of like showing all the things that we want to touch on today in this episode, because what we're going to do is try to dig into the past of this strange man, Rasputin, the reason he was the way he was, and how the hell he survived so many assassination attempts, Mm -hmm. and in my mind, most importantly, how he managed to, in many ways, seduce the Tsarina and the royal family in general. So to, to, to an extreme extent where he had this dominating control over him his tr- the true story of his life really from the origins of it in remote siberia have been really shrouded in in mystery overall we really only know what happened in st petersburg and like just leading up to that but his rise to power is one of the most strange in history and the question we're really left with is was he really this mad monk did he really possess some kind of strange otherworldly force or powers so this is not the definitive biographical account of everything encompassing Rasputin and his and his journey through into St. Petersburg. We wanted to highlight the things that were most interesting to us, but we definitely want to go classic into the portal and get into a bit of the background on this strange man. So where did he originate here, Amber?
1: None of them. Siberia. Mm. The birthplace of mystery. When it comes to, like, thinking about... What it means to be Russian and the ethos of Russia. And Rasputin was born into peasantry. He was born in 1869. I'm sorry, I'm just like, I love how he comes from this place that is decidedly pre modern. And Russia at this point is wholly pre modern, right? Oh, God. Yeah. They're living in basically what is defined as like a vast nothingness like can you imagine like your national identity is a hollow to a certain degree and it is defined by the vastness of the land and how scattered its peoples are you really feel the isolation when you're in those settings and it's it's really like you know we we watch we've watched a lot of like siberian documentaries in general like not focusing on rasputin specifically and it always comes back to this like idea of a crushing dullness that is very much felt in these communities. and there's a oh, yeah. lot of depression, there's a lot of obviously like you know alcoholism and suicide and and it does come from this like this desolate landscape. It's just this really bleak outlook for most that are born in these places because they're not going anywhere, right? They're yeah. they're born there. They live there. They die there. And nothing had really changed. And this had been going on for hundreds, if not thousands of years in Russia at this point. So Rasputin himself would have very much been endowed with this spirit. Definitely. And it would have shaped his character from a very early age onward. But that's not to say he didn't appreciate it. And yeah. this would be something that he would value and he would take with him Throughout his journeys and even into the capital, and this was what formed his otherness to the people of St. Petersburg and to the, the the family of the czar and and yeah. all of that. Because from a royal perspective, these people were wholly other. They were not something that were understood by right. the aristocracy. Sorry. Yeah, and so that in itself is a very important aspect. It's this the veneration of the simplicity of this lifestyle. And uh, he goes on to really talk about this in his later memoirs before he died. But
0: I feel like that comes up in a lot – like, it's ubiquitous across the world, too. Just Mm -hmm. this notion that the salt of the earth people are closer to God in some way or, like, closer to – you know um just just being i don't even know like spirituality being connected to more yeah. you know what i mean like and connected were, to the land right
1: the land uh, being a landed peasant it does have that sort of symbolic nature to it And to a certain degree and you think of like yeah like even thinking core to periphery if you're thinking even like uh, the world systems right. and things like that these mm-hmm. people were living in the periphery they're living in this liminal zone of unknowability to a certain degree and that juxtaposition is yeah like you say like that plays out in a lot of different cultures throughout the world mm-hmm. but in russia it is it is like one of the defining things about this society and so rasputin was he is described as illiterate to a certain degree he did attend school like you know like a peasantry type school thing but overall he very have very much like Very little education, yeah, yeah. and he never really learned to formally read or write, which is interesting to me.
0: Self taught, self learned himself, I guess. Self
1: learned himself, just like Ricky. Ricky. (laughs) But despite this, he would come to have this certain power, this certain poise about him, and uh, it kind of lended itself to this weird mysticism, or like almost like he had these supernatural powers
0: even from a young age
1: even from a very young age and we did see this in a few documentaries speaking to that where basically he was kind of seen as other even within his village yeah and the people were almost a little afraid of him even his parents knew that there was something different they just saw it and yeah it was acknowledged very early on right it was almost as if he was seen as some sort of aberration unholy to a certain degree and uh, this reputation earned him the surname Rasputin. Like he didn't share that with his parents. That and was one
0: of the, that's that's one of the, the stories anyway. It
1: is one of the that's, stories. That's okay, like,
0: that's like a that's like a, a part of the mythos. I feel like uh, about <laughs> him, right?
1: Yeah, it is because you do look like we. I can't remember his parents' name off the top of my head, but I did see it written down. I was like, oh, that's interesting. Like they're not the surname is different yeah. in those accounts. But this kind of actually roughly translates, it's like kind of like Siberian slang for like the debauched one.
0: That's right. And that's like part of the... So it adds to the mythos. It adds to the mythos. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. like I, I Googled, like I Google translated this and it was like debauched in in Russian, directly translated isn't Rasputin, but is uh, Razvatnyi. Okay. So it's not all that dissimilar to Rasputin. Like it's it's almost identical mm-hmm. word count looks kind of similar but definitely just kind of added into this mythology of him as this unholy aberration and that's how he's seen like there's these titles of books that are like i mean we'll get to that later on i mean we own one here that we got for christmas a few years ago and Mm -hmm. he's on the cover you know it's like the dark history of russia and he is the figurehead of that sim that he's the symbol
1: is the icon yeah totally yeah so already even before he leaves his siberian village he's already sort of gained this reputation and It was seen early on. He interacted with farm animals quite frequently, actually, and he was said to be able to heal them. And again, these are things that are part of the mythos. These are not things that we have actually found documented other than secondhand accounts passed on orally or perhaps through written tradition from other people that were around him and wrote letters at the time.
0: Exactly, and that's the Mm -hmm. thing. That's the reason why his early life is so shrouded in mystery. Like you said, this is like the pre-modern, and that's just it. It's like 1869. That's essentially the same. It might as well be 1660. where he was born because the technology and all the remoteness and isolation was essentially exactly the same 200 years later. Mm. But this there's an alternate version of the translation of Rasputin. There's there's another uh, a few sources I looked at where some historians suggest that Rasputin actually meant uh, where two rivers meet. So that was a phrase describing the rough geographic area where he was born in, in Siberia. I didn't really dig too deep into that one, but we know that he wasn't particularly well-liked by some, but maybe he wasn't actually as seen as, you know, devilish and unholy as uh, he's made out to seem definitely later on with the the idea of his being given this surname, the debauched one, right? Mm-hmm. Like that's pretty intense. Um, but that being said, looking back on this idea of him being unholy, it is apt in the sense that his later debauchery would definitely become the stuff of legend, and that's the reason why that we just mentioned that in the first place, right? Like I said, there's books published with titles like "The Minister of Evil," you know, the the embodiment of the devil. Uh, the Dark History of Russia that we mentioned earlier, that's a book that we, we have in our library that we used for this episode. No, oh, so yeah.
1: Even in the documentaries, hey? Oh. Like, the idea of, like, the devil incarnate. Right. <laughs> it's, like, basically a lot <laughs> of the names, like...
0: And I mean, it... it Take it all within context of like this was you know turn of the century right, and then looking back throughout history on it. But like, what lens are you looking at Rasputin through? Mm-hmm. A mythical, a mystical one, a orthodox Russian Christian one, a whatever. But yeah. no matter how you how how you slice it, it's absolutely bizarre because he did somehow, some way grab a stranglehold, that's what I'll call it because that's what it was, over the royal dynasty, over the czars. And he played a massive part in the rampant corruption throughout Mm. the royal family. And a lot of people will argue against this, but really he did have a massive role in the fall, uh, in the revolution that Mm -hmm. eventually came, right?
1: Well, you can take it in one way or the other because he kind of predicted the fall of the royal family. And Mm. he did... He he, well, we'll get into this, but he did predict that the start of World War One spelled the doom of Russia and the doom of himself. But
0: yeah, we'll get to that though.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: Coming back to his early life, because we're trying to figure out how he gained this mystical power, or at least the idea of him being this otherworldly, you know, holy man, he led a pretty normal-ish life in that area, right? He tried to go about it in a normal way. He worked for his father in his cart business whatever that means.
1: (laughs) Selling his wares.
0: (laughs) Selling his wares. (laughs) I was out walking. He ended up getting married uh, to a girl named Proskovia Fedrova. Best I can do at that. Had four children, two other children that apparently died, so six total. But... This love did not last long because uh, he ended up uh, piecing the scene in the village. I mean, by all accounts, with this relationship and having these kids, this was maybe the impetus for him having an unfavorable reputation in the village. You know what I mean? Like... I don't know. Like he just, he he wasn't maybe the best dad. Let's just say that. No. And he did piece the scene pretty quick he, too.
1: Yeah, he did. And then later on, the wife kind of comes back into it. And when he goes back to his homeland, bringing all of this, like uh, this aristocracy from the capital usually. And, right. And she was just the slave. Like she was just the cook and the cleaner. So
0: bizarre because he did make these regular trips back. He had this kind of like odd connection with his homeland rather than just being like, I'm gone. You know what I mean? But even in his early life there as a young person before he had these religious epiphanies, you might say, he was said to be able to heal animals. Like he was, he could heal a horse by touch. Mm -hmm. There's no photographic, there's no photos of him without a beard even. There's no photographic evidence of him as a young person.
1: I don't think they had cameras in Siberia.
0: (laughs) Clearly not, right? Clearly nobody rolled through to to see what that place was looking like that had a camera. Mm -hmm. So we don't actually have a, a sans beard Rasputin, but he would eventually get over all of this working in the cart business, hanging out with his wife, with his four kids that survived, and he ran away, so to speak, or walked away, you might say.
1: Walked, ran, who knows. But like you said, yeah, so he was he was kind of honing in on these like divine abilities, so to speak, like hearing voices, uh, seeing things perhaps, and, and being able to do things that are kind of unexplainable. But all of this is also wrapped up in a portrayal of Rasputin as a young, Debauched fellow already and he was prone to drink from a very early age he was drinking by the time he was like five yeah and he was a cheat supposedly he didn't have the best reputation in his village <laughs> and i think that comes back to his sort of very charismatic persona and the ability that he was like a mesmerizer to a certain degree or a hip mm-hmm. hypnotist kind of yeah. he, he was an influencer before instagram people okay <laughs> so <laughs> this really played into how some people actually, it was this weird inverse with some people where they really actually trusted him and thought that he had like a a good soul, so to speak. And then there were the others that kind of saw the exact opposite. Yeah. And it depended who you were. But yeah, so Ran walked, he went to a monastery and this was kind of after he was accused of just being a drunken fool and a cheat. And this is where we get the abandonment of his wife and his four children into what Rasputin would kind of portray as him becoming a monk uh, dedicating his life to discovering these supposed new depths of reality and i say depths specifically because he's going
0: down i would right. say he's not
1: he's not ascending in my mind but anyways
0: and depths of reality or or not reality because well, he was yeah. not technically becoming a monk but he no, saw himself that's as that's an
1: that. important point to make here and i sorry i do want to say that he in his mind, was becoming a monk. Right. He did not have any formal monk training or anything like that. He was not a part of any recognized... Uh,
0: he didn't go to monk college.
1: No, he didn't go to <laughs> monk college. So he was uh, just kind of doing his own portrayal of
0: He was that. making it up as he goes along.
1: He was trying to become closer to God. was right. kind of his mission. And this is when we get Rasputin kind of embarking on what was called his wanderings and... You can call it a pilgrimage, you can call it anything you want, but it lasted a pretty long time. So he was kind of wandering around for years. He walked wherever he went. He rarely ate. He was kind of living in a state of prolonged uh, what would you say? Just like uh you- poverty. He was living in poverty. Right. And uh this was kind of it reminds me of what kind of the values that uh, Jesus was espousing when he was going about his life and sure. living a penniless existence. And uh, and so I feel like Rasputin was kind of trying to get to that, you know, he was G- getting to- into the dirty, the nitty gritty, trying to like yeah. release the... Uh, What other people are consumed by, right? Like with, Mm -hmm. say, personal hygiene, (laughs) getting a life together, uh, buying a cart instead of walking. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) But anyways, yeah. So he basically just, uh, I don't know, he just kind of wandered around and... You put this in here. He was like some Southern Cali surf bum, but not really.
0: Siberian style. He was
1: the Siberian counterpart of
0: that. Yeah, <laughs> and he was totally trying to mimic, like, yeah, the, the pil- pilgrimages of yeah. former holy men. Like, not just exact walk, per se, but...
1: Like, and also the, uh, what's called, like, the, oh my gosh, um, the flagellants movement. Uh, that's, <laughs> movement. <laughs> that's Movement, that's the right word. And flagellants uh, came about... way way hundreds of years before he ever was born but basically the idea of like almost like a self-punishment in order to attain a type of holiness right and another important part about this is like i said he never bathed and (laughs) he actually this is again according to legend he never touched himself either so in that regard he was almost like uh what's it called he was starving himself of Mm -hmm. the pleasures of the soul and the pleasures of what is being human i guess right yeah he I went will. all throughout <laughs> siberia western russia and europe and visited monastery after monastery he was following in the footsteps of thousands of people that had done this before let's just say that too because he wasn't yeah, like no, it wasn't one of a kind like just had this idea come to him kind yeah. of thing like there was a lot of people doing what i would call like soul searching you know what i mean like they were looking for a higher purpose Absolutely. and a lot of these people came from similar places as him right they were yeah. coming from the fringes the peripheries those areas where there was not a lot of hope and not a lot of opportunity. So no. what else did you have to lose besides just trying to attain some sort of higher state of being?
0: And he went about it in a very solo way, but this, all of this reminded me of our episode on Kitesh because it just screamed like old believers to me, the idea mm-hmm. of just being, you know, really doing something adjacent to but very different from the Russian Orthodox Church. And if you remember back to... So that episode, like the old believers, they obviously believed in some pretty crazy stuff, like the like the city of Katesh and like Svetloyar and stuff. So it's like he was on his way towards. It's like I'm he's 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 going on this pilgrimage to the periphery of away from the classic Russian Orthodox religion, which he would have been brought up with in his remote Siberian village. Mm-hmm. So that's that's what I see it as,
1: There's some version of that. And you know what's really interesting is there was a lot of these sort of underground spiritual sects that emerged. Uh, A lot of them happened like, you know, like in the 1600s, 1700s, all this kind of thing. And they practiced in secrecy because they were illegal. And so that's what Rasputin would kind of find himself. And in his community in itself, you can almost like, this is my pure imagination here, pure speculation. But just in my mind, I'm picturing like the scenes of like, these underground worshippers that are gathering in the dark corners in barns and secret places and and doing these really weird practices that we're going to get into Mm because this is not your average uh, church ceremony here. No, definitely not. No, no. But, okay, so we're getting into Rasputin's early 30s. He's gone through his dirty 20s, you know, he's learned a bunch of stuff, hopefully, and and now he knows that he wants to leave his family and go to faraway places. We're talking, like, Greece, the Middle East... He even made it to the Holy Land yeah. uh, later on, and this was at the behest of the Tsar. Um, yeah, you're
0: like, you are you are doing some unholy things. We need to send you to Israel. <laughs> what better way to fix it up?
1: You know? Yeah, yeah. And this is where he, like, the Tsar and Rasputin had some clashes, and then the Tsarina was the one that really came to his aid and uh, kept him where he was in, in relation to the royal family. Right. But
0: Getting ahead of ourselves, though. We, we are. Haven't we gone are, to the Tsars yet. Of course.
1: So we're getting into this idea that grigory rasputin is becoming the wanderer and this would kind of be one iteration of his growing reputation yes this again right kind of speaks to his his religious conversion i guess you could call it
0: i see it as like he's got a backpack and he's chucking new occult tools in it as he goes along his way like he's honing his abilities as the self-proclaimed holy man healer uh, uh, yes uh, prophetic you know, like he, he could a, he had prophecy, could see the future, read minds.
1: A clairvoyant to a certain yes, degree. Yeah. And you would imagine that, yeah, exactly, Andrew. He's seeing, he's observing as he's traveling, and he's seeing other versions of what he wants to be. Yeah. And taking those in and manipulating them and making them what he wants it to be. Right. And because he had this sort of hypnotic influencer type personality, I think that would really work well for him.
0: Definitely. He was accepted everywhere he went.
1: Yeah, accepted and also controversial to a certain degree because because of this sort of like larger than life kind of like ability to a Mm -hmm. certain degree. But this is where we're getting into a very specific sect and this would influence – what Rasputin would come to know as spirituality and uh, this (laughs) kind of a dark version of it. And so we're talking about the Clistes sect and they are part of this like flagellant movement. Uh, That's where it originated from in the mid 1600s, 17-ish hundreds kind of thing. It's a little bit vague. Mm -hmm. And rasputin is largely considered to have adopted this sort of like belief uh system into his own bizarre doctrines like you said right he's adopting them
0: right yes
1: and this version of underground beliefs uh kind of went off this idea that one was nearest to god when you were in a state of what they called holy passionlessness so what does that mean It basically means a lot of dancing, a lot of hymns and rhythmic chants and uh, drunken orgies. I say that quite literally. I'm not actually like, I'm not exaggerating.
0: And two types (laughs) of drunken. So they would literally, like you said, like spin, chant and almost get drunk via the motion, like dancing drunk, like by twirling and whirling. And like you get like the head spins and then combine that with alcohol Yep. Yeah. So and essentially,
1: then- yeah, they would combine them with alcohol. What they would do, this was one version of what I saw. So they had this practice of gathering at dusk, and this would be in crypts or other sorts of... Uh, a darker areas, even barns and things like that, wherever they could find a place to worship in secrecy because right. this was illegal, let's make that clear. And they would work themselves up in yeah. these chants and they would be, um, yeah, these ritual praying and hymns and, and almost like speaking in tongues, right? Yeah. And it would grow into this like gradual building of a fervor and then an ecstasy and then it's dancing and chanting and flailing and praying and this ending in this huge congressional orgy where it's literally everyone kind of just having...
0: Doing it with everybody, man. Just having
1: a good time with everyone all over the place. Big old party. And this is what they actually believed was necessary to transcend into another mystical state of being, if you want to call it that. Mm -hmm. And there was a lot of underground religious offshoots to the Russian Orthodox Church that were kind of had their own strands of what this was, but they were all seen as like unsanctioned. So they were highly illegal this is not the teachings of Christ in the eyes of the Russian church. right? So this is, again, right, it's kind of one of those more extreme states of being. And I do think that, again, right, going back to like the psychological state of what it means to be Russian and how isolated you would feel, you just want to feel something. You want to feel connected. That to me would probably be the biggest thing, the lack of connectivity between people and between places and communities Mm -hmm. and things like that. So you're, you're going to, another realm you're going to the spiritual realm to kind of make up for that i think and that's why some of these places and some of these people went as far as they did perhaps
0: it's so it's interesting too because it reminds me a lot of the more like traditional indigenous Siberian type like shamanistic rituals where they do a lot of a lot of similar things right where it's like chanting uh, rhythmic ceremonies that kind of work you into this fervor of almost like hallucination potentially Mm -hmm. even to reach this second level of spirituality Mm -hmm. but that's different than like the classic like you know sitting on a hard bench or kneeling on a a piece of wood and praying and reaching that status like in a classic orthodox Mm -hmm. church situation so maybe it's like being in remote Siberia had something to do with that, you know what I mean? Like the landscape and 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 yes. like and the energy of the land, and it's like that's maybe part of the reason for all these weird offshoots and like the old believers. It's like they're dedicated to this city of Katesh and Lake Svetloyar. It's like very much a some a, a, an occult thing, mystical thing tied to the landscape, rather than just being like here's the holy book, here are the hymns, there's yeah. the church, call that's, call it a day.
1: That's exactly, and that's yeah. That, I thought this was interesting, even just speaking more to. The, uh, this particular sect. And I came across this uh, article from, it was just an online blog called The All. And it was a 2017 article. And they were talking about this was interesting. This is an exact quote from their article. It says here In their rituals and beliefs, the Klists tried to solve an old puzzle how to live in a world without God, where holiness is missing and even his prophets are silent or far away. Their answer was to pursue ecstasy everywhere, even at pain of death, hmm. end quote. I, I really thought that spoke far and wide to like what these people felt and what they were trying to achieve, right?
0: Yeah, and then, and then that also really does speak to, to me how Rasputin morphed that a little bit hmm. because he took like that and then went sort of built off of that to like what we'll get into later on with his salons and stuff he was doing in St. Petersburg where he was essentially trying to cure sin with sin was one of those sort of perspectives. It's
1: this weird contradiction where it's like prolonged debauchery ends up with this like next to holiness type thing, which doesn't make sense to me. And he did tie in this, yeah, this idea of like an extreme sort of spiritual, orgastic state of sexuality was kind of like the point of transcendence.
0: How how serendipitous is this that we just released a Patreon episode on Wilhelm Reich and sexy, sexy orgon energy, and then you just read a sentence that uses sexuality and transcendence in the same... In the same I, it, line. <laughs>
1: it hasn't escaped me, and I did have a point later on Yeah, just because, like, it does. There's a lot of parallels.
0: That's so funny.
1: And that was an episode we just released on Patreon, so it's kind of hilarious. I don't know. Maybe we Adding
0: just, that uh, into theories for Rasputin. Stay tuned, everybody, for the end of this episode. Andrew's going crazy.
1: <laughs> yeah, but it's like this... I don't know. Yeah, going back to the idea of this debauchery to reach a state of next-level spirituality, what are you, like in your mind, cause like you had some fun ideas when we were talking about Oregon energy and this idea that like, it is the spark of life coming from, uh, supposedly these sorts of feelings and that the feelings are the biological impetus to make sure that transaction occurs. Right. Right.
0: Exactly. Yeah. Let's get dirty. Rest beauty. <laughs> um, I wonder, right? Like it's, uh, it's, there's definitely some some lines we could draw between the two the two stories of Oregon and Wilhelm Reich and and Ras- maybe Rasputin was tapped into Oregon baby he- maybe he was <laughs> that's actually quite an interesting thought to think because clearly he didn't have a box or
1: anything like he didn't even have the. the um, what's it called? The accelerator? Or? Yeah,
0: the accumulator, <laughs> the, accumulator. The, the orgone accumulator. <laughs>
1: but perhaps he had his own spiritual religious version and then Wilhelm had a biological scientific version. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Perhaps. It's kind of weird. But anyways, we can come back to that. Yeah, yeah. But there was this idea that he, Rasputin would take these ideas and he would transport them away from the periphery and into the center of society and that's kind of why he is this icon of darkness in russia i think because he was kind of the first to really successfully achieve that uh, bridge that gap so to speak i think yes and there was others that would try and we'll get into that because like the this was not the first mystic that came into the capital but
0: no and it actually surprised me at how prolific mystics and the occult and seances and ouija boards and all this kind of stuff was in russia i knew it was and the turn of the century in general but you never thought of the east in the same exact way like literally doing this arthur conan doyle could have been hanging out there and enjoying mm, himself right yeah
1: yeah if they had their own yeah exactly and it was it, it was kind of akin to like high culture too in yeah. a weird degree right and Yes. Because of
0: their lack of connection to God, it's like, all yeah, they see these peasant class and, and Rasputin coming in as this holy man connected, and then they're there trying to reach the afterlife through seances because they're so disconnected, perhaps. It's weird. It's yeah. very strange.
1: You would think that almost be considered a form of
0: blasphemy from the Russian Orthodox Church. Absolutely, but they accepted it. But in mm-hmm. a weird way, like they made concessions. There was a little bit of back and forth. Like obviously there was some higher ranking officials in the church that weren't necessarily cool with seances going on. Mm-hmm. But they, it was, it was all a part of the phenomena. Like it was, it was sanctioned. And I think mostly because of the royal family being like, we want this because they were in charge. Yeah.
1: Yeah. <laughs> we are God. Yeah. So again, these are very central ideas that would come to form Rasputin's own personal culture and the culture that he would impose on others around him in his salons, like you mentioned, right? A salon, if anyone isn't really familiar with that, it's basically kind of like, it's like an intellectual gathering. And it could be like, usually they have a theme. It's almost like a thesis of the meeting. And I'm not sure what Rasputin's were like to a certain degree. I think his
0: were a little bit more sexually religious,
1: And probably just a little bit more of him just being master manipulator of the entire room.
0: Possibly even hypnotizing the room.
1: So many. Yeah, yeah, totally. Okay, this is the weird part because you can look up photos of him in his salons with all of his sort of like aristocratic or even working class. He had a wide variety of people that would come to him, Mm -hmm. but these pictures are freaky and a lot of them are with very young women and they, oh my Lord, some of the accounts like firsthand written accounts from these women are like highly disturbing and do speak to basically almost in my mind, like an abuser type relationship. Like, he, he manipulated them, he but stripped abil- them of a lot of their, what I would consider <laughs> their flower.
0: Oh, yeah. <laughs> the petals are all
1: over the floor. <laughs> and a
0: lot of it in the name of, like, eradicating sin and, and also just a sin part by of it. Yeah. And, and then also just his his sort of, like, I feel like he continued his pilgrimage, like, in his mind. Like, he's doing all this stuff in St. Petersburg, holding these salons, and it's almost like he's always pushing the boundaries. Yeah. I mean? And he's always... We have so much more to get into with his occult abilities.
1: Yeah, because he, yeah, like you said, like he predicted many things. He's healing people. Uh, Supposedly, he's like cursing people too, but that's kind of harder to prove. And yeah, like all these mystical powers and things like that. So this is all spreading. His reputation has spread to Russia's capital in Saint Petersburg. Yes, and he eventually ended up traveling there to see the Tsar and his wife who resided there. Mm -hmm. And he was led along the way. There was like almost a trail of breadcrumbs, right? Like, like we said, he was. He obviously was influenced by other mystics and other religious and spiritual leaders in the area and what they were kind of doing. And so he kind of, yeah, I feel like he took all of that and kind of just used it in his own way to make himself seem very legitimate and prop himself up. We're getting into the St. Petersburg era, which is very fascinating. Before we do, though, let's have a quick word from our sponsor, BetterHelp.
0: Hey, guys, Andrew here. Well, I don't know where exactly you're located, but it's getting really dark these days up in Canada. The sun's down at like 4 o'clock in the afternoon. And to top it off, Christmas is coming, and I don't know about you, but this time of year can be really stressful, especially with the way things are with COVID-19. And winter above all times of the year can be especially hard on people. From finances to relationships, you name it, winter runs the gambit. And for me especially, it's important not to bottle things up and be in my own head with problems in my life all throughout the year. But there are ways that are practical and easy to be proactive in taking control of your mental health. And we want you guys to take advantage of the really amazing services provided by betterhelp.com. It's professional therapeutic licensed counseling that's tailored specifically to you. And it's vastly more affordable than traditional counseling. And there's even financial assistance for those who qualify as well. Trust me, guys, it's really nice to be able to text message someone who can actually help you out and listen, give some advice, and just get things off your chest but you communicate however you want. There's over a million people taking advantage of this great service, and we want you to benefit as well. So take advantage of 10% off your first month by visiting betterhelp.com slash portal. That's hel slash portal.
1: And we're back. All right, so Rasputin in St. Petersburg. Before we get into that, though, we've got... A big announcement. That oh, was yeah. Oh, hell
0: yeah. We got a big announcement.
1: <laughs> we have a brand new producer on Patreon. woo Yeah. Yay, Stanley the man!
0: <laughs> Stanley the manly. That's an office reference. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, seriously, Stanley from South Africa. Thank you so much. Mm-hmm. That's uh, that was really cool. It's it's pretty pretty sweet to have a South African producer for the show. I know. Look forward to getting some suggestions. Perhaps some uh, yeah some some South African myths and legends and stories and stuff. We haven't actually gone gone there for any stories.
1: No. And he's just like he's joking around. This the cradle of civilization. Oh yeah. Like we need to go there. So Hell, yeah. There's probably lots we could dig in to and we also had on that note we had Caden join us at the paranormal scholar level, level yes. bleh, on our patreon yeah thank you so so much to both of you yeah, for joining you. our strange little world
0: <laughs> it is a bizarre little world on there we try to keep it as strange as possible Caden thank you so much for joining as well and uh, yeah you guys can all check out what we do on there the latest release was like we've sort of alluded to uh, before the break here Oregon Energy absolutely bizarre story uh, with Wilhelm Reich as the center central figure, I should say, that sexy, sexy energy and uh, (laughs) weirdly symbiotic with some of the stuff we're talking about today, like we kind of mentioned. So maybe Mm -hmm. we'll we'll talk more about that at the end. But (laughs) uh, there's also another quick note here. We have a couple of brand new shows that have joined the Straight Up Strange podcast network recently, and uh, the most recent is the That's Strange podcast hosts Alex, Chad, and Ryan. They're awesome, aren't afraid to take on the strangest subject matter from classic mysteries to the paranormal, unsolved historical mysteries, and current phenomena of absolute high strangeness, such as uh, <clears throat> QAnon and many, mm-hmm. many more things that are absolutely bizarre.
1: Yeah, I think that's some really cool topics.
0: Yeah. And so it's an absolute pleasure to bring these guys on. They're super talented. So make sure you check out That Strange Podcast and uh, everybody at the Straight Up Strange Podcast network. And if you haven't already, join our Facebook group. There's like a little over 3,000 people in there always posting really cool, weird articles and stuff. It's super fun. So come join us on there. Mm -hmm. You ready to get back into this? Let's do it. Alright, so we're just about to have Rasputin arrive in St. Petersburg, which really is when things start to get weird. Like, we've had this buildup where he's allegedly acquiring some of these occult skills, if you will, or at least in his mind, he's building up this... this Alt, mm. alt, what was the word not alter ego it's like he's building up this this, this larger than self. life
1: yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. i don't know exactly the the enlightened version of rasputin and <laughs>
0: yes. and like you alluded to he seemed to have had some influence it wasn't like he was just showing up and kind of taking in that you know the the, the clistis sect is the one we mentioned and mm-hmm. being like okay I, I can morph this into kind of being a weird monk of my own he was chatting with some other people i found mm-hmm. this one interesting note that in 1905 he was spending a little bit of time in the Tartar city of Kazan. And he was uh, having a drink with a known healer named Father Gavriel. And they were talking about a lot of different things. But in that conversation, he made note that he intended to walk on to St. Petersburg, that which at the time where they were sitting was hundreds of miles away. And I guess Gavriel, as the story goes, didn't say anything. He sort of just stared at him and was thinking you'll lose your way in St. Petersburg, perhaps maybe even having some sort of premonition very much like Rasputin would have that no good will come of this if you Mm -hmm. go to St. Petersburg. But the story goes that Rasputin, who already had this reputation as being able to read minds, just stared into the eyes of Father Gavriel and responded directly to what he had thought and saying that not to fear that God will protect him in his journey. And you could take that as basically just him reading the facial expression, yeah. but it definitely added to the legend, right? And so the legend grows before he even arrives in St. Petersburg. Mm-hmm. He was reading the mind of an already known healer.
1: That's interesting. On on the
0: fringes of society.
1: I wonder how much time he actually did spend with him and and how long it would have taken Rasputin to figure someone out. Because I do come back to this idea that he was a manipulator, that he was very good at reading people. Like he knew what buttons to push and how to get what he wanted. So I think even with this example here, yeah, that it adds to the legend for sure. But again, I feel like he would have been that type to just... No, even before he spoke that he was going to St. Petersburg, he would have known the answer already.
0: Yeah, you know? I, right?
1: I feel like he would have just been that type. Like that's just me con-
0: pure that conjecture. That in and of itself adds to the idea that he was supernatural because it's like sure you can be you can be extremely intelligent, you can be a savant, you can be charismatic when you're born in a Siberian remote town and completely illiterate and have no education. Like I guess that's possible but it seems highly unlikely mm-hmm. like it seems like the skills that you would need to like you would need to be in social situations where to be able to actually do those interpretations right like you're not just chatting with horses and the and the farmer gym down yeah. the road that has the same level of education as you yeah, like, like comes, that's weird to me
1: to me uh, i again like it speaks to yeah, personality type. You could even go into the idea of past lives and maybe Ooh, he yes. had skills that were acquired from a past life that he was bringing forward. And obviously that's a lot of woo-woo. But if you think about it, like some people are born with innate abilities and I've met some people in my life that are kind of in that in that line, in that camp where yeah. they just do have some sort of natural power over people socially. Yeah, And it's... Even one case in particular, like these people tend to burn out fast. They tend to kind of like they're like shooting stars almost, you know. It's true. Mm-hmm. It so you could true. think about them like that.
0: And if, yeah, no, actually, that's a, that's a that's a good point for sure. I mean, let's continue on with him arriving. I guess like he did show up and was known, like we've said multiple times, like he had already been healing people. And when I read that, like when we've gone through the notes and gone through some some doc, docs on him. It reads to me almost like he's like a Reiki healer. Like, you know what I mean? Like So he had been performing these healing rituals, quote unquote, on the peasant class across the country as he's leading up to his arrival in St. Petersburg. Mm -hmm. And we said earlier on that he had been healing horses in his hometown, right? Like a a horse that had an injured leg, he would simply touch it or be near it and it would improve. Mm -hmm. That sounds like Reiki, Or certain types of touch therapy and like weird weirdness.
1: Yeah, it it 100% does. And even in one of the documentaries we were watching, hey, remember when they actually brought on a modern day healer Yeah, and it was a woman and she basically kind of described how she actually really didn't understand how it worked, but she would put herself in a position where she basically put herself in a state of like, it was like, again, right? It was a state of rhythmic praying, chanting and kind of Feeling And going within oneself is kind of how she described it. So mm-hmm. I feel like maybe Rasputin, when he would go to these places and he would access something within himself that perhaps right. connected to another person. And you there
0: know? is sort of the tie to, to to Reich and Oregon too, this idea of some sort of a transcendence point or something. Hmm. Like being able to not be and in the same mental state or whatever, right?
1: Exactly. Accessing a- energy. Accessing energy and then also translating energy or spirituality in form of sexuality too, or or as a function or a mechanism to achieve that higher state.
0: Right. And aside from the sexuality stuff, it was, it was his, healing rituals and all these things he had been performing that basically allowed him to be welcomed with open arms when he arrived in St. Petersburg. He was completely accepted by the Religious Academy of St. Petersburg. The uh, Bishop of Saratov welcomed him. So these are high-ranking members of the Russian Orthodox community, and they were more than happy when he first got there, even though immediately he shows up and he stunk. Like he was noted to be, he was he was completely unkept. Like his mm. during his pilgrimages, you could smell him from a mile away. He was decrepit. He he was decrepit in every sense of the word. He probably never wiped. <laughs> what I mean, who knows, right? God only knows. <laughs> Pun intended, I guess. But by the time, but by this time that he shows up, like we mentioned before, the Russian capital was kind of strange. This was a time of the occult. This was a time of promiscuity too. So, mm-hmm. as far as the sexual escapades go definitely the right time for him to show up like there was ads for venereal disease that were in newspapers and stuff like that mm-hmm. not what i expected yeah in, like in russia like doctors
1: being able to heal certain things and e-
0: yeah all that. exactly because yeah. right? everyone was just kind of going because <laughs> rampant, going ham bone with all that stuff right <laughs> and at the same time on the flip side with the occult stuff riddled with you know seances everywhere Everyone had a Ouija board. The mm. mystic interests were through the roof. I, I made this note here, like, who would have thought? Like, I, you know, you, I always tied that to London and and, and cl- that's my Western lens, right? Yeah. The classic. It, this was everywhere. People were really wanting to connect with their dead loved ones mm-hmm. in a way that was different than all the things they had been promised by the Russian Orthodox Church for, for forever, right? You know? Yeah. So in St. Petersburg, he did build off of this reputation very, very quickly. He... He he kept on doing his thing, his charismatic Rasputin thing, reading people's minds, um, you know, showing up at parties and being the life of the party. And this reputation propelled him into the upper echelon of society, like, instantaneously, despite him, like, never bathing, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. being physically repulsive. Like, I, I, I can only imagine what this guy smelled like. I, I mean, if you're don't. doing it all the time and you're well. not sh- showering afterwards. <laughs> oh, God. Right? oh,
1: he just would have been a magnet. He would have been just like a... Oh, Lord, I can't even. But, but it's
0: these eyes that seem to be the focal point of all of it. It's the eyes. that. So it's almost as if he's like the um, – I'm picturing like the Edgar suit from 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 Men in Black. It's almost like there's something else inside of this Rasputin figure that is like not human or something. Yeah. He has this otherworldly attraction to him, like distinctly sexual attraction that drove women to him. Yep. Mm-hmm. Like this isn't Ryan Gosling, you guys. And this I is, think – well, I think it comes right.
1: back to the idea of otherness, right? And the idea that this man stands for something that we don't have within ourselves. And so yeah. it's almost like this – this um, he was coveted. He was highly coveted by members of society that saw him as this strange figure that they just wanted to figure out. He was a puzzle that they wanted to solve.
0: And that's why <laughs> they kept inviting him to stuff and he kept showing up at stuff. And
1: when someone makes promises like he did with all of his, like – high notions of spirituality and all this kind of stuff like it's very attractive right you want to you want to know you want to be in on it and you
0: want to be in on it yeah and for sure,
1: that's that's a lot of the allure,
0: right? It's the allure of that. And then it's also like the fear of not... Like, for example, one of his regular haunts was the Astoria Hotel. You know, drinking, dancing, car- carousing with women, various socialites, politicians, things like that. Mm-hmm. And at these types of places, he would apparently, you know, uh, be like staring off at someone and and then shout out what they had on their mind and, like, accuse them of sin, right? And basically, it's almost like he was doing readings of people like, okay, you've got this to fix up, you've got this to fix up, that's your sin. Mm. And
1: and a lot of these were very vulnerable young women, right, too, right? Right, so, Yeah. I mean, they're... he
0: did do, do it for men as well, like yeah. readings, I oh, guess yeah. you might say. Not like he was sitting there with the tarot cards or whatever, but...
1: And there are some interesting accounts, and we can't really verify these, but there were... Some accounts that kind of point at the idea that he didn't really have a preference of men or women. Like I think he would prefer women, but I think he did have sexual relations with men as well.
0: That was that definitely came up. That, that did come came up, up, and it
1: was unconfirmed. It kind of is again tied into the lore and the legend, but <laughs> the will, lore and the legend, the lore and the legend, and it, and it will actually tie into his uh, actual assassination too, to a certain degree. So as he's gaining popularity like roving around in these high social circles in some cases and other cases they're quite ordinary right like more working class sure but he is coming to be in his prime i would say sure even though he does have a lot of enemies that are slowly gathering around him as well and this is where we get into what (laughs) a lot of people refer to as rasputin's infamous salons yes and so he had this apartment that he kind of holed himself up in. And uh, it was interesting seeing the actual physical space because we saw a couple documentaries that mm-hmm. showed us that. Very, very Russian. Hey, very, like even the hallways. And like, it almost seems like there's like, what is it? Like massive chunks of like paint coming off the walls. And just, it looks like, it, it looks like a very impoverished
0: state in it, it's that cl- building. It, it's the classic, even though it obviously would have been before that, the, the, the Soviet era, like the yeah. revolutionary, but it's got that feel. It's it got does. that classic Soviet and I era I guess feel.
1: it's because it's lived through the Soviet era by sure. the point of us actually viewing it on television.
0: They put up the fresh coat of gray paint.
1: It wasn't, though. It was, like, so peely, and I actually thought it was <laughs> metal, like, peeling off. It was, right. like, that thick. Anyways, um, I guess it's just the weather there. <laughs> it's pretty harsh. I guess. But he's gaining this reputation and having these salons, and within this salon atmosphere like you said right this is in his home he has people here so he is the life of the party he is the center and like i said there's numerous photographs that kind of documented the types of guests he would have a lot of these like i said were young women he would have numerous sexual partners and they were all over the social spectrum he called them all his fools which i thought was interesting because again it kind of points to this idea that he he has this like almost like a pool of people to venerate him. Right. Like, as if he's his own saint or something. Oh, yeah. And he would constantly be manipulating them psychologically, telling them that they need to learn how to see the spiritual mind. And how do they see that? Mm, By, uh, you know, going to Rasputin's bedroom. And, again, disturbing accounts, right, from women that even some of them saying that they just happened to wake up after it all happened and they were...
0: Defiled.
1: Defiled, yeah, that was the word. <laughs> I was going to say deflowered, but defiled too, yeah.
0: Uh-huh.
1: So indeed, yeah, his sexual appetite was insatiable by all accounts, and this is not an exaggeration. He would test quote unquote women with his passions and subject them to these quote unquote tests of perversion oof there was uh yeah anyways i'm not gonna get into the details because we don't have to touch on that but again the majority of these women were of working class actually so they weren't really high echelon women and this gets into where his reputation begins to become very highly questionable and this is where the the connection to the serena becomes very dangerous and she was repeatedly, uh, criticized for her connection to him for ignoring all of the, um, all of the rumors, right. That were going around.
0: She didn't want to believe a lot of it. And we haven't even gotten into a lot of that yet, but. No,
1: but even just talking about the salons in general and the behavior that went on there and his general behavior being a drunken, debauchered fool in public where he's Mm -hmm. like, he's acting in ways that a holy man should never act. And (laughs) she is. ignoring it because he was followed by secret police wherever he went yeah like he was definitely everything that he did was documented
0: and And i think he knew that
1: yeah to a certain degree he didn't really care though i think he was just like i'm raspy and i'm doing my thing and whatever i feel like he was the type that could explain away anything probably
0: absolutely and like and just going back to the structure of the salon too Mm. because he because i think that's important like it wasn't like there was this idea of battling sin with sin, you know, eradicating sin with sin. And he called these, these, uh, these willing, willing participants, his fools and stuff. And it was all part of this spiritual experience that he was facilitating at the salon, but he was, he was, he like knew how to set it up in terms of like, it reminds me almost of a, oh gosh, I don't even want to use that as a comparison, but like, it's very compartmentalized. And very systematic in how he made it feel like a religious experience. So, like, people would show up. They had the main a foyer of his salon the, the the you know the living room if you will and in the photos or some of the descriptions it was like he's he's kind of preaching at the front it almost seems like it's this kind of like small little religious ceremony right and, in then, it, yeah, and then he yeah. and then it would go from that to transitioning into a different room and then from that i think into his bedroom where that would happen then you could hear the thumping against the wall as he's banging the sin out literally mm-hmm. uh, but he in his head without having any like formal Training as a master manipulator, I guess, right? Like he had just seen how some of these things happened. Like I guess at he the Clist D yeah, sect and stuff exactly, like that. Exactly. He yeah. knew how to structure mentally, psychologically to mm-hmm. mani- to manipulate. To
1: build that fervor, exactly like Which how is they pretty, would do. Yeah.
0: Pretty like I mean it's 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 dark and it's weird, but it's also from a guy who was illiterate, who had no right? Like it's
1: to have that power over. It's people. very strange
0: that he would figure out how to do that. Like there's something powering this dude, man. There was something weird going on. There's something more.
1: Yeah, he's an influencer, like Mm. I said. It's Mm. it's not really, like, you know, yeah. So here we get into uh, what we'll call the royal connection, so to speak. And, of course, following the trend of what was going on in the town of St. Petersburg in the royal capital, uh, the actual royal family themselves were holding these seances quite regularly, Mm -hmm. as you said off the bat there, Andrew. Mm And even before Rasputin kind of came into their lives, the uh, Serena was already heavily endowed with all of the stuff. And she had consulted many other mystics and what was known as these like fools of God right. coming from the, the fringes, the peripheries of Russian society. Right. And again, right, there was this ethos surrounding these types of people, especially in the eyes of the aristocracy and royalty, where these people were seen as closer to God for whatever reason.
0: Being dirty was closer to God. Yeah.
1: Isn't that strange?
0: That the ripe smell was closer to God. Well,
1: exactly. And working the land had a big part in this. Uh, Being dirty, the smell of simplicity, the simple life. Anyways, it's weird, man, but it's true. It's just... It was what it was. (laughs) But, of course, Rasputin was not the first holy man that was made famous in the capital. Uh, There was also this other guy called Monsieur Philippe. Monsieur. Yeah, he was a French sage, quote unquote, and he would hold regular seances in the city and had become this confidant of the Serena and the royal family. yeah. And Nicholas and uh, Alexandra would pray with Philippe. They would sit up listening to him ramble on about various philosophical ideas and other things. But And I'm pretty sure it was Philippe that was around during the birth of Alexei, yes. if I'm not mistaken. Yes,
0: I believe so, yeah.
1: Yes, okay. They but thought
0: he was res- partially responsible even for it or, or that, something along those lines?
1: Because it was a real miracle that Alexei was even born. For years and years, they had cranked out daughter after daughter. There was no one to take the throne. Yeah, So this was their heir, and this was very, very important. So Alexei became a central focus as far as trying to keep the current royal regime in place. And unfortunately, uh, Alexei was also born with a condition, and it was, uh, oh my gosh, it was a blood condition. Hemophilia. Hemophilia, yeah, yeah, exactly.
0: Which is obviously at the time...
1: Very deadly. Yeah, There's no way to treat this. It's basically spells out your demise so the royal family was devastated when they found out that this was the case and this
0: is almost like a symbolic i mean it was a literal potential downfall because he's the heir and now he has this 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 crippling ailment but it's also like what what luck like what's the irony mm. of that it's like that is the symbol of like the an inevitable demise
1: yeah and of, even of the just going back to even just the, the visceral concept of blood and blood being the line, the royal lineage, yeah. right? You oh, know, yeah. Good that's, point. That's an interesting idea, It's
0: bleeding actually. out all over. It's yeah. not, not going to last Literally, long.
1: I can't sop it up fast enough. That's right. actually...
0: I'm glad you mentioned that. Okay. All right.
1: Yeah. So this was actually Rasputin's way of cementing his place at the palace. And unfortunately, Philippe was never able to actually effectively, quote unquote, treat Alexei for his ailment and so the Serena was devastated and obviously the Tsar was too there everyone was but when Rasputin was first introduced to the royal family in 1905 he quickly realized that there was something going on with Alexei he wasn't told no one was told the entire Russian public did not know about this until sometime later on when they finally made the announcement and they had actually at one point during a heavy bleeding episode they wrote up a a royal announcement stating the death of Alexei. Right. So, okay. He kind of was playing his cards tight to the chest, though. He observed them for about three years, and it said in 1908 he was actually summoned to the palace during one of the Suns, so Alexei's bleeding episodes. Mm -hmm. There's a couple of versions, and again, this bleeds into legend, right? The one that I heard was that he showed up at the palace one day. He wasn't right. summoned. Right. He showed up. He knew. He said something. And he demanded to see Alexi. Right. He asked specifically and he knew something was wrong. And so the story goes that he demanded to pray over the boy. And this was after he had Alexi had been bleeding for days. And he ended up knowing how to treat him. He ended up stopping the bleeding. So the story goes and quote unquote miraculously healed the boy. Right. So this was the beginning of Rasputin's reign over the royal family. And yeah. this would last until basically the final hours of pre-revolutionary Russia.
0: Very much so. Which because, pretty cool. I mean, of all the things that you could do to cement for a mother that you have mystical powers, there is literally no, – there's nothing he could have done that was more – prolific than healing the heir to the Russian throne mm-hmm. because no one else was. And, and he actually did whether or not this was just very much coincidental. Like mm-hmm. it was right at the end of the episode. Like he had, a, I believe it was a, a small cut on his arm or leg or something like that, mm-hmm. that was constantly bleeding, whether or not it was just kind of like right place, right time, which seems to be the modus operandi of Rasputin. he always seems to be in the right place, right time, except for perhaps at the end of our narrative here. <laughs> or was it actually something he did? Was it actually some sort of power mm-hmm. that he had? Because outside of this experience, outside of his healing abilities with Alexi, there's this other side of him that pointed completely away from a mystic with these healing powers, like we've alluded to this entire time, and much more directly pointed to him as a charlatan, yep. as I would see it. Yeah, you know, He's claiming to be able to read people's minds at these parties and stuff like that. Master
1: manipulator type.
0: Right. Mm-hmm. And one documentary we watched actually even claimed that he was bragging constantly about his abilities inside the palace. He bragged about his access to the royals. He even at times bragged about his unrestricted access to the daughters of the royal family. And this was this just this one documentary they sort of claimed that he would brag about it in a very purposefully ambiguous way, mm-hmm. which is cr- creepy to say the least, yes. right? And definitely mm-hmm. falls in line with some of the other things we've been talking about. So Obviously, he did have a power over the royal family, but the question is, did he have, is this just metaphorical or did he have some sort of almost like a hypnotic trance over them? This comes back to the idea of his hypnotic eyes that we mentioned before mm-hmm. and his per- persuasive powers over others around him, despite the fact that he was, quote unquote, a simpleton in many ways, right? And we know that the Tsarina, yes, she was weak mentally. You know, she she was obviously... Prone to both, fancifulness. Prone to fancifulness, and both her and Nick, both, her and Nicholas were both not fit to be royals. No. They were just there because of the lineage, and like Nicholas was meek, quiet not the strongman ruler. No. That th- that would need he would need to be to if, like maintain this royal power. If
1: I'm not mistaken, he wasn't originally heir to the throne, but it was thrust
0: upon him. Right, I think that's correct.
1: After I think his older brother died and or then
0: it's like he tried if to
1: mis- I could be mistaken Don't we, call me. Can, we
0: can we can dial back come back to that, <laughs> but it wasn't until the great war that he got a chance to really be that strong man. So, it makes sense that Rasputin would have this this stranglehold over them in some sense, but but there's all these other nobles around them, there's definitely strong wills around them mm. that weren't able to capitalize on the meekness of the royals like Rasputin was, which Why? I find particularly strange because they didn't
1: have that otherness to them.
0: They needed that otherness, right? I and know. I put this in as a side note because Rasputin's ability with this otherness and his and his hypnotic eyes reminded us we we can't get through an episode without an X Files reference, you guys. Mm-hmm. So this reminded us of the episode I think it was titled Pusher, where it's about. A guy who essentially has this mesmerizing ability to convince people to either do things or to see things that aren't there. So that was more hallucinogenic property to that. But maybe you could even argue that Rasputin had those abilities in sort of like hypnotizing people. Hmm. I mean, people can be hypnotized. That's not paranormal. So maybe he had some sort of that pusher-like ability. Whether you want to go paranormal or not, that's up to you. (laughs) But his eyes were certainly different than everyone else's. So they were described as compelling, mesmeric, brilliant. Uh, They were even to say at times emit a strange phosphorescent light, according to some. Like, that's a strange one. That implies that there's something maybe working through him. Like, it's not... He's yeah. not even human, but there's maybe perhaps like God seen Ooh. through him, as some might see, or the devil. If you want to go on the flip side, oh of
1: yeah, that. you know what that reminds? It brings me back to Katesh again. The idea that there was a light and like the bell seen from the depths, like the depths of his eyes, because they're cavernous, right? Like right. even just they're so hollow and deep in the sockets, like that in itself, like maybe yeah, is it the devil? Is it is it God? Is it some sort of spiritual thing? Is it and a higher power?
0: That's what I'm thinking. Right in those depths of his eyes that you talk about is sort of speaks to the. How he was able to penetrate so deeply into uh, another's mind, right? Like <laughs> pun I mean, intended. <laughs> pun intended, big time. Because both literally and figuratively, he was doing that in the in the salons, right? But obviously, this speaks to his skills as a performer, which he yeah. did in this sort of very religious way. Um, yeah. His vocabulary as well, like right, like he would speak for hours, eloquently, you know, uh, you know, uh, fill a, uh, <clears throat> eloquently like speaking these philosophical conversations and and giving people advice and, and in this very hypnotizing way, despite being like <laughs> an illiterate, uneducated peasant from Siberia. Mm-hmm. Impressive to say the least. So he was accused of having this otherworldly magnetism <laughs> about him right
1: interesting magnetism again that, ah, that reminds me of Orgon energy and the idea of like uh, the <laughs> electromagnetic field that we don't actually fully understand i don't even know anyways i'm not going there though no uh, that is interesting though the idea that again yeah he honestly this is weird he's reminding me of a magician yeah he's oh, like yeah. he's like almost like this turn of the century sorcerer type you know what i mean yeah and it almost reminds me of again like a lot of illusionists a lot of the harry houdini's of the world which again he would never claim to have mystical powers he always said that it is the power of my mind that releases me right because yeah. it's his imagination and his uh, his intelligence and i think rasputin despite Despite the heavy amounts of uh, evidence that would point to the fact that he should not have been who he was at all, he was just an exceptional person in some social social ways, you know what I mean? Like, Mm -hmm. as far as the dialogue and all that. And (laughs) this is interesting because despite how outrageous Rasputin was in the scene in St. Petersburg at the time, he did hold back when he was around the royals. He didn't really give them a taste of his full outrageousness, if you want to call it that. And this was successful mostly because they, the royals themselves lived in a great deal of isolation from the public. Sure. So it was a very separate sphere. And they really did consider Rasputin to be their link to like the ordinary people, quote unquote, of Russia. And so in that sense, he was very, very valuable to them because he gave them a taste of the ordinary if you want to like the, yeah. the the proletariat whatever i don't know what you would
0: call it yeah no that yeah
1: but despite that yeah again there were inklings that this was leaking back to the royals and it was highly inappropriate the behaviors that the serena was going to partake in and already had right um but yeah whether <laughs> whether he's out at a brothel at these bathhouses, which we haven't even touched on yet which no. is a huge part of it the secret police were following they were reporting they were doing this so it was not as if it wasn't going under the radar so to speak no but okay maybe we should move away from that a little bit and talk about these like again more of the mystical side of it even his enemies and how that was starting to be formed right yeah let's do it so when we talk about when rasputin was like treating people do you want to say that i don't even think i would say that when he was
0: performing his stuff
1: Performing. Actually, yeah, that's in, almost in this trans like state. He was able to access, like we said, it seems like he was able to access something deep within him. Yeah. And I think, like, in the portrayals that we've seen, it was almost as if he was more successful with this in the beginning. And then slowly and slowly, he would move into the dark side.
0: Right. Yeah. Like, was it some sort of a placebo effect, you know, with those who had been working with him that had seen success through quote-unquote Rasputin's like therapy so to speak Hmm. because I mean it's strange I mean obviously a lot of people did claim that he did heal them and this was definitely known throughout society but then the flip side like we've said like the, the the royal family didn't necessarily see a lot of the dark side of him and he would be you mentioned bathhouses a second ago like we can dig into that a little bit more but there was stories of him being seen exiting bathhouses, whether or not he was drunk or not, no one exactly knew, but he would be almost speaking to himself in a trance-like state along the streets by himself, leaving a bathhouse, um, sometimes almost in a, not speaking in tongues, but definitely in a, in a, in a very weird trance-like state, like he's like accessing something deep within him. And hmm. obviously the question is whether or not through that he was able to access some sort of power that in the case of Alexei, maybe seemed to actually do something because clearly the placebo effect wasn't necessarily possible in that instance, right? He was a hemophiliac. He was having a bleeding episode and Mm -hmm. Rasputin did fix it. So that's, that's that's the weird thing. That's what people really, really, really tie it to. But is, I mean, I don't know, like, was it just sort of some sort of I don't, I don't know. I think
1: and, and people have pointed to the idea that it wasn't really it was more like a psychosomatic effect, like it was mind and body working together. It was placebo effect, but it was also the idea that there was a somatic reaction within the body. There was a physical chemical stress reduction right. happening, and I yeah, there was obviously no way to measure this per se in his time. I'd actually be interested in looking into that like as like an additional sort of like side note thing. But. Yeah,
0: stress reduction, that would definitely be a weird uh feature on like the calm app Mm. uh Rasputin talking to you
1: just the Rasputin (laughs) gaze sure
0: yeah (laughs) just stare into Rasputin's eyes help you fall asleep great yikes good stuff that's scary probably wouldn't want to because he was Known as the devil to some, as we've sort of alluded to here. To his enemies, for sure.
1: Yeah, from his enemies, and he had quite a few of them, whether they were political or religious. And those in power were growing to distrust him quite greatly. And again, like we were saying, the the secret police was following him at all times, and they were recording all of his very highly eccentric behaviors. Bathhouses were one of his favorite places to be. They were frequented by Rasputin basically every day, and probably multiple times a day, I would imagine. He would take clients there. He would also go there by himself. He would take even, like, uh, just, like, acquaintances in there with him. And he would also take ladies of the night in there, too. Why not? And one of his favorite things to do while he was in the bathhouses would be to get drunk. And uh, he would visit the massage booths quite a bit. And when you're thinking bathhouses, don't think of, like, the... Swedish spas and like, or not even Swedish. Actually, that's a bad example because we saw Anthony Bourdain episode (laughs) where a Swedish spa is not what I thought it was. It's looking a little rough. It looks like a prison. It looks like a place where it looks like a hospital. You don't want it to spend does. time there. It well, looks like a prison and it looks gross <laughs> and dirty and just nasty. We've
0: only seen a, a couple on TV. But and they always have meat
1: in there. It's Hey, like, I'm down why? for a sausage in a sauna. They literally put okay, the sausages don't re- maybe to re- maybe that in should Maybe that's
0: not the best phrasing, but okay. <laughs> <Sausages>. Moving on.
1: <laughs> <laughs> but in these bathhouses, he was known to perform rituals. And this was an interesting part because... There were descriptions where it was essentially Rasputin quote unquote, "taking the devil into him." so he is literally going to the dark side here and he it was known that he would take various clients, whether they are women or not, and he would physically assault them yeah. while the devil was supposedly in him right. And he would be, you know, maniacally chanting and all this kind of craziness. You know what I mean? Like, and like
0: beating them. Like he would like Like literally
1: beat them. beating them.
0: Beating sin with sin.
1: Beating the, yeah, beating the sin out of them was kind of what he was saying. Yeah. And then they were known to copulate afterwards. And that was, again, another form of reaching this higher level. And these began to get out of control and whether or not he was in the bathhouses or in bars, like he was kind of just party boy, 2000 kind of thing.
0: Party boy, 2000. <laughs> like, seriously. <laughs> 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 <laughs>
1: yeah. And this got to a point where the czar proposed that he take some time away from the capital. It was getting a little bit too hairy fairy for him. And Rasputin decided to take the trans Siberian express. <laughs> Who knows where he was going? He was just on his own little journey, I guess. And he was harassing, I will say harassing women along the way, along with the general public. Like, I'm sure men were harassed by them as well. Sure. And he... Getting drunk. Yeah. He had a lot of drunken antics. He was, uh, I would say, quite i don't know pervasively forcing himself on women sexually Mm -hmm. there was one quote from a woman he met that said that he would do things only a married man should do to a woman like you know like (laughs) all this kind of thing and along the way he so he gets off the train and he goes on the steamship this was a weird anecdote hey
0: yeah it was pretty odd
1: and he just he supposedly got so drunk he couldn't even stand up. He was falling over himself. And I'm amazed he didn't actually fall off the boat. But he assaulted the wife of a civil servant here. And I think he might have been kicked off that boat shortly after. I, and word was getting yeah. around. He's like kind of... I think that prediction from... What was his name again? That uh, other healer or like uh, person that he was with before he went to the right. capital. I, the I escapes think, me. I think that was an accurate vision yeah. of what was going to happen. Because Rasputin... I think he didn't really fully have control. He was losing control. He was I losing think.
0: control. And I think he was, it was a mix of that with, he was so confident because of his connection with the Royals. Like he felt yeah. like he could hop on the, the he felt the invincible. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. He felt invincible. And going back just quickly to the salons, because this just reminded me of similar stuff. And one of the documentaries he watched, it was like the late 80s. So there were still some people alive mm-hmm. that were young kids at the time living in the building across from where his apartment was in the salon. Yeah. And making comments, which was just so fascinating. I mean, imagine. Oh, yeah. It's like these people are like, I saw, I was watching Rasputin across the across the way. Amazing. And he would be walking around naked in his house. And, <laughs> you know, generally, and the, and the place was in shambles. He did have like a maid, I think, that he, would also uh sort of use in his ritual type things and whatever Mm -hmm. uh but again it just sort of speaks to his uh his loose and free cavalier attitude because of his connection to the royals he thought he could get away with basically anything
1: and i think another part of that too yeah you're right is his notion of being this like do-gooder to a certain degree and we had this interesting like part of his personality portrayed where it was like he would write notes. He wrote notes all the time. If anyone came to him and asked him or something, he would write a note to someone, give it to them, tell them to go to that person, and they'll do it for them. Right. Half the time they would, half the time they wouldn't. Yeah. We actually had a, a first-hand account from someone who said that his father would regularly receive these notes from Rasputin and would just kind of toss them aside and he wouldn't really do anything. But Rasputin <laughs> really thought highly of himself. Hey, if he wasn't doing these things himself, but he he thought he was pervasive, or well, pervasive and um persuasive enough to have that social influence over people that he could ask those favors.
0: To me, that almost reads as almost quasi-mystic, too. It's not just like, oh, here's a note asking for a favor because I'm this prominent guy in society. It almost seems like I don't even know why. It's like a this, prophecy? It, or? Yeah, almost. Like I'm writing it, like he's writing it on paper. It's almost like the golem or something. Ooh. Write it down, put it in the golem's mouth. Now that's going to happen. It's like, I'm writing he's, it down. I'm manifesting this. He's
1: writing it into being. Right.
0: And then mm-hmm. I'm. Then this person's going to do it. And mm-hmm. obviously, it like you said, 50-50, if it succeeded part of the time, again, it's going to add to the mythos. It does. And the legend. And it
1: definitely did. Because, yeah, that was very fascinating hearing those firsthand accounts. But towards the mid to end of his life, again, it was starting to fall apart for him, right? He was really losing it. And he was oftentimes seen in these, like, furious, violent conversations with himself in the streets, yeah. speaking in tongues and, and wrestling around and causing a scene. And usually these are after his visits to the bathhouses. And it was almost as if the devil was, like, still within him. He was still wrestling with him. Almost as if there was, like, a spirit that had, like, literally possessed him. Yeah. Like kind of how it seemed.
0: There's these very stark, light Light and dark contrast to him.
1: Yeah. And it kind of speaks to this, like, inner turmoil, I yeah. think. And there was, was the devil working through him? At times, uh, he did say he was inciting the devil to gain that closeness to god right and this behavior caused an uproar like the church was irate they thought he was going way too far inciting the devil in his practices that was blasphemy oh yeah and he was being led by his quote-unquote sexuality and not his spirituality according to the clerics there was two in particular that actually uh, accosted him. They yeah. confronted him and they charged him with this and they actually ended up beating him in a confrontation and in return Rasputin later said that they'd actually attempted to kill him and he told this to the Serena yep. who in turn banned them from the city. Yep. So he did have a lot of social prestige in that sense they and were, a lot of protection, right?
0: He had them exiled. It's pretty pretty powerful to be able to do that. Yeah. I remember too an additional detail from that account. These yeah high, higher ranking members, I think it was the same two I mentioned off, off the top that well welcomed him into the city Mm -hmm. uh yeah they they invited him down into this one particular room of the church or whatever and yeah like accosted him essentially Mm -hmm. accusing him of this but i remember the one aspect of that story that was bizarre is they like whipped off his trousers and grabbed him by the penis they did and were like holding him by the by the junk and 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 told him uh, and, and and uh yeah, and shaking their finger at him, like you, oh, you like you, know you what are I mean? being
1: and led by this and not by, by God, is what they told him quite literally,
0: right? So, which like is every funny. so he's basically just like a high school kid, high school
1: boy, basically, you're yeah,
0: thinking with that, not thinking with your head or your heart, I guess. <laughs> anyway,
1: <laughs> yeah, so this is where we're getting into this idea that the enemies are starting to coalesce and they're starting to form plans against Rasputin,
0: yeah, and it's both. Uh, political and religious-based, which I guess are intertwined, intermelded, or however you want to say it. But what's fascinating is that there was actually – I mean, people detested him so much. He was detested by so many people after his stint in the city that – he had a lot of people attempt to kill him. But before there was this final epic attempt on his life, there was actually a whole bunch of other plots to have him killed that are like way less known. Plots that had been hatched against him by all kinds of different people. Everyone that from nobles, like I said, that was like really calculated to just people that rubbed him the wrong, that were rubbed the wrong way. Yeah. I guess pun intended again by <laughs> Rasputin potentially, right? <laughs> so I have a few examples here that were just bizarre. So there was one story where there was a colonel in the secret services who planned to lure him into a car uh, with promise, like a train car, with promises to introduce him to a woman. How could he turn hmm. that down, right? And then ended up going to an isolated spot and having him strangled. That never panned out. There was a few other stories about uh, his favorite drink possibly being poisoned at some of his regular haunts, but we, I don't know if we don't know if this was uh, definitive or not. But even if it was. He continued on into the evening and obviously went about his life. So those attempts failed if it ever was a thing. There's another story that talked about the minister of the interior that tried to send him on a pilgrimage accompanied by a priest. And this particular priest had instructions to push him in front of a moving or sorry, to push him from a moving train. Interesting. That never happened either. There was various peasants that had been bribed to, like, kill him, lead him into different ambushes, things like that. There was even a time where a lady turned up at his flat, as ladies often did, knocking on his door. But this lady showed up and allegedly showed him a revolver that she had brought that she intended to kill him with. But she couldn't do it. She, She showed up and it was almost like the mesmerizing nature of him began before he even opened the door. And then she admitted it to him. I was here to do this and never did it. These are just Mm. stories. These are just some sort of, you know, alternate attempts on his life because he was such a prolific figure. But it wasn't until 1914 that there was the official known assassination attempt. A little bit more direct. This is when he was stabbed in the gut by a beggar woman on the street. Mm -hmm. And this one's pretty grisly because this really speaks to his... (laughs) toughness, I guess. You can chalk it up to being from Siberia, or you can chalk it up to something perhaps a little bit more otherworldly, because he was said to have his intestines pulled out, stabbed. She reached in, yanked a little bit of his insides out. Mm. Uh, he stuffed him back in, and after uh, a little bit of a time in hospital, he would survive. Yeah, that's uh,
1: that's pretty crazy so we're talking 1914 so what is gonna happen uh-huh. so the war <laughs> yeah
0: he's recovering in hospital and as this ha- is happening the war breaks out and the czar decides to declare war because this was the very first time in his entire life that there was actually people gathering in the streets to essentially cheer him and give him any sort of praise the royal family had been taken nothing but shit for a long time and for whatever reason, I mean, war gets people riled up, right? So this this was there was he was doing the, the speeches from the balcony thing.
1: It was a populist. move. It
0: was a populist move, for and
1: it sure. was a move that would prove to be disastrous, as we all know now. It was
0: a bad idea, <laughs> and
1: this was the beginning of the end. And although initially uh, the royal family gained popularity with the people after declaring the war. Which was something, of course, like you already said, they'd never experienced in their entire lives. And uh, Nicholas, like, he, he had never seen the throngs of cheering people. the The yeah. people of Russia actually, like... Garnering around the, the cause, and it Showing was very love. exactly. So this actually was obviously shortly lived, and quickly dissipated into something that was more so a quagmire of destruction. We had a lot of social unrest, economic strife that consumed Russia and her people, uh, and revolution was brewing. This is. A product of the depression, economic, social depression, uh, widespread shortages of bread, desperation amongst the people that was becoming more and more apparent. And yeah. it was so sad. Like the, the rampant alcoholism and uh, suicide rates skyrocketing. Anger was just an inevitability. And it was just a simmering pot ready to boil over. Yeah. And it's interesting because... Rasputin, in his clairvoyance, I guess if you want to call it that, his vision, he was able to see a little bit ahead, I feel like. And he seemed to know that the war would spell doom for Russia, as it was known at the time. A pre-capitalist empire, this was built on peasantry, right? It was built on a serfdom, essentially. It was the least prepared for modern warfare, as they quickly found out. And this is interesting. He did write a letter to the Tsar as he lay in the hospital bed after his assassination attempt. And he described what he saw as a dark cloud descending over Russia and consuming it and all of her peoples and how this would ultimately, like I said, spell the doom of the Tsar and his entire family. And he was quite, quite blatant in the letter about it. And I think he... Because obviously he knew his fate was tied to the royal family. So if they go down, he goes down. (laughs) But interestingly enough, he ended up going down first, which is kind of... Ironic. It is a little
0: ironic, and and the thing too is that he he was he was against the war, I guess, right? Like you said, it was that long letter. I mean, you just kind of there was a couple excerpts there in this in this long, very depressing, dark dark letter to the to Nicholas. But Nicholas obviously went off to war to actually mm-hmm. to actually um, uh, be a commander, right? So Rasputin ends up effectively running the country.
1: Along, during during yeah. the war, he is the tsarina's like right hand man. Like, has more say in more stuff than any other official in the palace,
0: which is very strange. And obviously, the tsarina was even more weak without her husband being there. Yeah, be, with, <laughs> I don't know. It's like he he wasn't political, but then in this instance, it's like the question is how much of how much hand did he really have in in this eventual downfall? Would they have yeah. chosen to go into the war at all? If he hadn't been there in the first place, even though he was against it, like it was it the he... X, Y, Z domino effect of this sort of like weakening of the minds of the royal family that led Nicholas to make this sort of snap decision to, to the populist decision. Hmm. They might have been in a more strengthened position without him there. All the royals together, all of like the influence from other nobles. This was the reason for his first assassination attempt, right? I
1: feel like if he had been in the capital at the time, perhaps the decision would have been made to reverse that and not go to war.
0: Which is an irony too, if he right? I think if he, yeah, yeah, exactly. If he's there, he could have reversed it. But I think his presence in and of itself led to, led to the precariousness of that decision in the first place. Hmm. I mean, I mean, we could argue that all day. But that's the reason why he had these assassinations. He had just too much influence. And whether or not people believed it was, you know, causing the royals to lean one way or the other, there's all of these royal members of the family that were like, hey, we need to get rid of this guy, plus the church. I mean, the church wasn't happy with him either, right? And he had this foretelling of his own murder at the hands of the royal family, which is pretty fascinating. He had this premonition. Mm -hmm. Um, So let's get to this because this is... The most fascinating aspect of this story, and perhaps the most contributing factor to the mythology of him as this otherworldly force, in my opinion, mm-hmm. and he almost made it to the uh, to 1917. So on the night of December 29th, 1916, Rasputin was led to the palace by the secret police under this impression that he was going to have a meeting with the wife of a Russian noble. The story we've we've heard a few different versions of this. One was that he was invited. By Felix Yusupov, who was the Tsarina's cousin, is that correct? Or Mm -hmm. He was married to the Tsar's niece. There's still some sort of inter-family stuff going on there. Cousin,
1: yeah. He was one of the most richest men in Russia at the
0: time. Right. Mm -hmm. And the one version I had heard was basically he was invited to see this freshly decorated um, parlor, I believe it was. he was He was very honored to be invited over by a person who he had been essentially shunned from for a very long time because he was on the outskirts of the nobles. People didn't trust him. Like the, the the royal family did, the royal couple did, mm-hmm. but the rest of the family wasn't too keen on him.
1: That's so interesting, and that's where it's kind of like we get these conflicting accounts to a certain degree. Because I actually heard that Felix had had relations with Rasputin uh, in some cases, actually sexual relations, and that uh, because he was actually homosexual himself, and Ooh, but that can he- lead to tension. Well, exactly, and this it, it, it became. I think it became something of a, a political motive for him because of oh, the yeah. fact that it was just yeah destabilizing the entire certainty of the crown. And in the account that I saw, it was actually that uh, Felix had set up a meeting with Rasputin and the Serena Mm -hmm. and that he was uh, supposed to wait for her downstairs. And they had set up this elaborate dinner that had never taken place, but they had set it up as if it had with cups and trays and and food everywhere and all the stuff. And that he was meant to wait for the Serena to finish up with her guests upstairs Uh before he was to meet with her. So
0: yeah, that's, that's one version. Uh, There was a, I believe 1928, it was a memoir published. Uh, I think it was Felix Yusupov's memoir. Anyway. Yeah, he it, provides the exclusive account. Right. Mm-hmm. And and yeah, it describes like inviting him over for this dinner party, essentially, right? Like he, he was led into this room that had been staged for this elaborate dinner uh, that, you know, like, he was, there was, he was given wine and a tray of sweets that he didn't actually want to eat. And the story with that was because of his stabbing a couple years before. Uh, he was really sensitive to like sweet things, acidic oh. things. So he didn't eat sweets. That was one thing that I read. So it wasn't like out of the ordinary. And if they were going to try to poison him, they probably should have picked something that wasn't sweet. Hmm. Uh, but as the story goes, he sits down. He gets bored, so he's got this large tray of sweets in front of him, along with some wine, waiting for this meeting to take place. He ends up, uh, he ends up having a few nibbles, and of course, this first round of trying to kill him is food laced with cyanide. <laughs> okay, so the plan, as told by the assassins themselves, was essentially to poison him using copious amounts tons of cyanide in every single thing on the tray it wasn't like they just put one plate in front of him and that was his they weren't taking any chances they put it all on the table literally enough to kill a person several times over as it was as it's been known right so after not touching the food or drink for some time eventually it was said that he did consume both the wine and some sweets but the poison should have taken effect right away or at least fairly soon but Hours later, it was said that he was still alive, prompting his assassins to obviously panic, and Yusupov, as the story goes, would go back down with a pistol and shoot Rasputin in the heart at close range. He dropped to the ground. Once again, they exited the room, planning what to do with the body, but... They quickly found out that he was still not dead. Afterwards, he was examined and was noticed his eye was still twitching and slowly opening. This guy just, this mofo just wouldn't die. Mm -hmm. Then he was said to have suddenly jumped up and attempted to go after his assassins in some stories. Others uh, suggest that he was just vanished from the room when they came back after he had been shot and had crawled his way into the courtyard. But nevertheless, he managed to get out into the courtyard below, where he was then repeatedly shot in the back and the head. Then he was beaten as well, both with boots and hands. Then he was stuffed in a car and drove into a frozen river where he was dropped in a hole carved in the ice. So two days after this, his frozen corpse was found, discovered, pulled from the river. And when examined, it was found that he had water in his lungs. So, suggesting that he was still alive and gasping for air when he was placed in the river.
1: Oof, that gives me shivers just thinking about. I don't know what it is about that. Like that's it's, horrible to endure and to go through. And like I, that's incredible, right? It's,
0: it's you're shot in the heart and you're still going. How are you not? How are you not like blood out? Right. Yeah. So this is kind of like this is the other world. Otherworldliness of Rasputin. This is the invincibility aspect of people believing that there's maybe some sort of a force keeping this guy alive, something working through him. The physical body is still lumbering on to try to do whatever. I, in, I wanted to kind of articulate this a little bit more. We've given sort of slightly different versions, but I just wanted to break it down a little more specifically because it's so strange. So Rasputin's shot, okay? They go back down to see if he's dead the monk wakes up and begins to strangle prince yusupov in one story mm-hmm. like actually attacks him
1: yeah and i re- heard that too actually. right
0: and in reaction to this he gets shot three more times like inside before yeah. he's even out in the courtyard
1: yeah yeah they shot him because they were just terrified they're like this guy he's not he's, even. Not he's like human. a zombie he's yes, like yeah. it's like
0: legit like a zombie right mm-hmm. uh then again that he's 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 left there presumably dead and, he ever, and then he ends
1: up again crawling all the way up a set of stairs into a courtyard. Is halfway across the courtyard before they realize that he's almost escaped.
0: Yeah, and 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 he's and and uh, allegedly yelling at them while he's escaping. That he's going to tell the tsarina in one of the mm-hmm. stories too that he's actually like chirping them. Like yeah. you're not going to get away with this type of stuff. Again, maybe that's just added for the the mythos of this. I don't know. Yeah. Here's another strange angle to this, though, that I wanted to just chuck in as a tidbit. There's a bizarre British connection to the death of Rasputin, Hmm. according to this one. uh, This was from a Smithsonian article that I pulled up. Apparently the bullet that actually hit Rasputin's head, or one of them, was from a British pistol when analyzed later on. I didn't dig into this this was sort of I found after the fact but we do know that Rasputin was a figure that was not well liked outside of Russia as well because of his influence. It made it more difficult for uh foreign states to work with the royals, right? To 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 get what they wanted. Mm-hmm. There was this person behind the scenes that they couldn't get to. He wasn't a diplomat showing up chatting with people in London. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So like that's kind of weird. There's this espionage angle. Almost like there was definitely support for this assassination outside of the royal family as well, possibly, which I think is kind of cool.
1: I'm definitely not surprised. And you do obviously get, yeah, a lot of espionage happening. <laughs> Russia is like the the center of like the otherness for the West, right? right? So of course they had people planted there. And I yeah, I'm curious because we did have... A sort of a conspirators like circle, and I'm not even sure all of the people that were involved in that circle. So again, yeah, the British connection, man, that's pretty interesting. Yeah, hmm. we'll
0: have to dig into that a little bit more, and maybe we'll do a a little uh, follow up release on on Patreon or something. But obviously, we go through this bizarre assassination attempt where this this guy just won't die, and then clearly was still alive even though he's in the river. So this definitely plays into the questions of was he possessed? Was there something working through him that just was clinging to life? I mean, before I even get into a couple of things here, we're getting down to our theories and thoughts. What do you have to say about this murder, about this assassination attempt? Where, do you, where are you getting here? Where are you leaning here as we move into our, our final thoughts and theories?
1: Um, Like I already said, like, I just think it's, it's a horrible story and I, no one deserves that,
0: obviously. Um, oh, maybe he did. Who knows? I wouldn't say that <laughs> I mean, for sure. I would just, you know. I like, think some of the women that had experiences with him might say otherwise, possibly. I feel like
1: a lot of them were fools. They didn't see their experience as what it really was, right? Which was abuse. And it does play into, like, if you're talking about just like his sheer strength and the will to live and all that kind of thing, I think you can really make a beautiful metaphor out of the ugliness uh, that plays into the the resilience of the Russian spirit mm-hmm. and the idea that him. As a central figure of that coming from nothing, really, you get it all the time, right? The idea of strength, strongness in Russia—that's a huge value in their society. It's a it's a value here in North America too, but it's all about this virileness and this idea yeah. that the the strength of the it, it goes beyond. It's like a it's a primordial thing, I think, to a certain degree. And I agree. he very much embodied that.
0: I agree. I think. Along with that, like if I'm gonna make some some arguments here just for the potential otherworldliness, okay. Yeah. Amber's rolling her eyes at me here, everybody, but I don't um, think I don't I'm gonna list off a couple of things. I don't think they'll seem that crazy. Because to me, he had this very much Jekyll and Hyde type personality, where sometimes he was saying one thing and other times it was almost as if he's possessed beating sin with sin. It seemed as if he was battling this duality within his own personality whether you want to call that some sort of a weird split personality combined with him being this clairvoyant extremely manipulative um, charismatic person and it all ties together sure it's possible then there's these little tidbits of evidence that are evidences I'm quoting that are just strange like speaking to himself leaving bathhouses in some sort of a way that seems like manic and this almost like trance-like state not speaking in tongues but shaking his head around and ways that are almost like the clisty sect going into the trances and stuff uh obviously he wanted to help the czars but took advantage of them in the same way like working into a position of power is that just because he wants the position of power is that something a little bit more insidious this did bring the end of the royals this did bring a lot of bloodshed in russia
1: so people
0: that are religious i mean would definitely lean to this guy having some sort of um intention intention behind him
1: how much of it is just who he was? How much of it was an intentional an intentional portrayal to the public, right? Because he was doing these things in public spheres. Like, he wanted people to think he was weird. He wanted people to think he was a fucking weirdo, man. Like, and that played into the mythos. And I kind of get into this idea that... A lot of the stories, like I feel like even half the stories you said about his assassination attempts, quote unquote, would probably be made up by him, right? And it's just, and even the idea, like, oh, I'm sitting here, I'm drinking poison drink, and I'm I am infallible. Look at me drinking this oh, mm. all night, every night. Mm-hmm. Oh, my enemies, they can't get to me. Blah blah. Sorry for my very poor <laughs> Russian accent there. <laughs> but you know what I mean. Like, how much of this was invented by him intentionally? How much of this was just invented him? By him. And how much of this was a result of him deciding to throw away? whatever norms and brackets of reality were presented to him in his early childhood. You know what I mean?
0: Yeah. So I think we all know where Amber stands on this. So final question, Amber, did Rasputin have mystical powers? Yes or no?
1: (laughs) That's not for me to say.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Rhetorical question, Farley just run the laps. Probably didn't have uh, special powers, uh, mystical powers.
1: No, I'm kind of just ambivalent about it, to be honest, because I do think that he... He either had insight in the sense that he could reach further than like like vision wise, right and I'm talking like just even just generalities about what the future holds about society. I think some people just generally do or are able to tap into that more. Yeah cognizantly than others. sure. And I feel like because he wasn't just a cog in the wheel, he refused to submit to, again, like I said, the parameters of reality that was set forth by his society. Yeah. He didn't follow the intended path. He didn't stay as like a a peasant and a cart. Cart Cart salesman. Salesman or whatever (laughs) he was doing. You know what I mean? And, And to that degree, when you throw away all that stuff, you begin to see different things. Yeah. And for him, it wasn't aliens and monsters it was the devil and it was the spirituality and what side of humanity can you access when you decide to go down those dark roads yeah and it's it's a very fascinating story and don't get me wrong i don't mean to poo-poo on any of the (laughs) weirdness of it all and
0: that's kind of where i'm at yeah i mean i'm i I would tend to agree i think it was a very
1: troubled child I honestly think he was. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he was very troubled.
0: Yeah. yeah, you want to get into some Freud stuff here? Maybe I had some mommy issues and things like that, too? Maybe. I mean, there's all weird sex stuff going on with uh, with Rest Beauty Tootie across the years here. Mm-hmm. No, I, I I tend to agree with you. I Obviously, everyone knows me. I like to entertain the, the paranormal as much as humanly possible. And with this one, it's more of just an interest historically if anything i do think that he had tapped into some sort of way of of hypnotizing he yeah, like a magician like might,
1: magnetism right like yeah. or
0: like like an illusionist might do exactly yeah but that combined with his very much real fervor for this strange spirituality there was some sort of a gray area there that i think is 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 unknown and we'll never know uh, maybe yeah. what he had tapped into but we want to know what you guys think mm-hmm. what do you think of this figure of rasputin Do you believe there was anything paranormal going on with this guy? Do you think there's anything we've missed? I mean, have you heard any crazy stories that we haven't Mm -hmm. touched on in this episode today? Hit us up, comment on the socials, come follow us at Into the Portal Podcast on Instagram and on Facebook, at Into the Portal 1, the number one, on Twitter. And uh, send us an email, into the portal podcast at gmail.com just let us know. Into what the you portal
1: think. Um, mailbox.
0: What did I say? Into the
1: portal podcast. <laughs> into the
0: portal mailbox at gmail doc, <laughs> into the portal mailbox at gmail.com. Uh we love hearing from you guys. Yeah, we we wanna we wanna get uh, get some insight of what you guys think. Well thank you guys so much for listening, and as always, until next time on Into the Portal.
1: Your gateway to the bazaar.